when you're going through things and whether they're hard or difficult or scary or create uncertainty in your life, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to feel it. Nobody wants to feel left behind. No one wants to feel unloved. No one wants to feel broke, criticized. I truly believe at this age, at 51 years old, been blessed to do some pretty incredible things, been, had massive failures. Um, life really does happen for us, not to us. To the Future Podcast. Today's guest is a New York Times best-selling author, real estate investor, and successful entrepreneur. But it didn't come easy. He learned how to transform a tumultuous childhood into fuel for personal growth and business development. In this episode, he and Chris talk about how each of our unique experiences shape who we become and why it's important to identify, question, and even change the beliefs that we hold. His path was windy, riddled with self-doubt, and included plenty of mistakes along the way. But you don't become business partners with Tony Robbins by giving up. Which is why I really admire a phrase that you'll hear a lot during this episode. Life happens for us, not to us. Please enjoy our conversation with Dean Graziosi. All right, so I was just uh, listening to your interview with Evan Carmichael, and I know that was done, I think, last year, and there's been some time since then, but you said something that struck a, a chord in me, and I want to follow up with that, which was you were reluctant to share personal things about your life. And it came from a place of uh, you were you knew that you were going through a divorce and you didn't want to talk about that. And you said you're going to make an effort because people seem to want more of that from you. So I just want to start off with this. And I think this may set the tone for the rest of the conversation. I'm not sure. But you are a product of divorce. Your parents split up uh, kind of early on in your life. And you grew up poor and you had some hardships. My, my question to you, because you were super sensitive about that with your own children and your ex-wife, was do you think that experience made you who you are today? That part of your resilience and your spirit and your drive come from having to figure it out yourself? Yeah. First off, man, thank you for uh, thank you for setting this up. It's a, it's a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, I'm in a completely different spot. I'm so glad you brought that up because since that, I, I feel... Actually, I feel good that I've I've um, shifted that to where even before we got on, you said, "Is there any anything I shouldn't ask?" I said, "No, absolutely not. Ask anything, and I'll, I'll share openly mm -hmm. because I re I really stuck with that." Um, and to get to your actual answer to the question, uh, absolutely, Chris. Like without one hundred percent, you know, when when you're going through things. And whether they're hard or difficult or scary or create uncertainty in your life, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to feel it. Nobody wants to feel left behind. No one wants to feel unloved. No one wants to feel broke, criticized, um, you know, whatever emotions you have. But if you look back, I, I'm kind of quoting my friend Tony Robbins, but I, I truly believe at this age, at 51 years old, been blessed to do some pretty incredible things, been, had massive failures. Um, life really does happen for us, not to us. And the only thing you need to make that a reality is to shift your mindset on that. 
right? What if all of the circumstances, the divorce, my parents were married and divorced nine times. I moved 20 times wow. when I was a kid. I, I hated divorce. I'd, I'd get new friends, new step parents, new step grandparents. I love Leo Rizzo. He was a step grandpa for like five years. He was amazing. Took me fishing and trick or treating. And then all of a sudden one day I come home from school and like, no, that's no more either. Right. It, all that mm -hmm. stuff. But it made me the man I am today. And I, that's a blessing or a, a wish I, I could just grant everyone to take those past, um, you know, uncomfortable moments or downright horrible moments or catastrophes or failures or stress and really turn them into fuel. Mm -hmm. At what age did you start to come to the realization and have that self-awareness and the mindset to, to reinterpret what was happening as something that was happening for you and not to you? You know, I'd love to say in my 20s, but I doubt it was in my 20s. Um, I'd bet to say it started in my 30s, really crystallized in my 40s and anchored in for life now that I'm 51. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard thing to realize because it is easy for our subconscious to say, why me? Why did I have to go through this? Why did I have to have a father that, you know, my dad was the youngest of, and I don't usually share this stuff, Chris, but I appreciate how you started this interview, man. My dad was the youngest of 12. And he shares mm -hmm. this publicly, but he was physically beaten and sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And my dad fought. He never got help for it. He never hit me, but he, he was angry his whole life. He was full of rage his whole life. My dad would fist fight a stranger over nothing, road rage to where we'd get in car accidents uh, to the point where he was so confrontational at 11 years old. I had a bleeding ulcer because I was so scared every time I was with him. Um, I share that because he didn't have the ability to see that there was a gift in that if he could unlock it. And I think that's probably some of the reasons that I have because I watched it pent up in this poor guy who couldn't keep a relationship. My sister's four years older than me. They haven't talked in 20 years, right? He didn't talk to his brothers and sisters. All of what happened to him, I really crippled his adulthood. It crippled him his ability to be a dad, uh, to be a, you know, a caring dad. It crippled his ability to keep friendships and in relationships. And what it did is he decided not to physically abuse me and my sister, but it, he really caused uh, just crazy turmoil in the house. Just always fighting, always, always like insanity. It was like never rest. It was never peaceful. But again, I, and I don't, I, Chris, please reel me back in if I go too deep on this. No, I love but, it. But I know that might sound crazy. I, listen, I can remember times where, you know, yeah, I'd go to school without lunch money. That's that's one thing. But there's other times right. I'd come home and my dad would be in this rage where literally he'd take a bat and knock the windows out of the car we were driving or clear the kitchen table, flip it upside down, scream, yell, and make me so nervous that I'd shake, right? Mm -hmm. And you say, how the hell is that? How can you say that's a blessing? No kid should go through that. And no kid should. And he was also a great dad who would take me fishing. He'd pick me up someday from school. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Some days we'd go fishing and he'd be amazing. So I got both from this guy. But I want to share a, a quick thing here with everybody listening. I know we just jumped right into it and you're like, who the hell is this Dean Graziosi and why do I care about your relationship with your father and <laughs> what's going on? But let me tell you how it relates to yes. you right now right. listening. Uh, and I appreciate you being here. There's a, there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews. There's a lot of videos. You're with us. Mm -hmm. I want to deliver something that, that really challenges you. I want to tell you, I, I was 12 years old. I moved in with my dad because he was causing such havoc with my mom. And he said to me, Hey, I'll leave your mom alone. If you move into me, move in with me. So it was crazy. I moved in with my dad and he had nothing. I mean, legit nothing. Um, and here's what I know that craziness at 12 years old could have been 
my anchor could have been like, Hey, I didn't make it because my dad was crazy. I didn't make it because I had a bleeding ulcer at 12. Can I, I'll tell you what it did for me though. Now, if I'm going to blame my dad for the crap he went through, I need to blame my dad for the man he made me because my dad was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I would say this if he was sitting right here, he's 84. We're really close now, but I learned at a really young age that I could keep my dad in this empathetic, caring space if I could read his emotions in advance. So about a year after living with him, Chris, I figured this out as a 12 or 13 year old. I'd see my dad going down this bad path and I knew how to climb into his soul and get him back to dad. We love each other. Dad, let's be a team. And I could keep my dad in that better place, right? So you think, yeah. man, that's a lot of work for a kid. You got to do that. But let me just tell you how that translated into my future. I can go out on stage now. I'm blessed to be a New York Times bestselling author. I get to speak on stages to 20,000 people. I get to do all this cool stuff and people are like, how do you go out on stage and just live the experience? That was a gift my father gave me because I've gone out on stage, Chris, with 10, 15, 20,000 people in the audience thinking I'm going to do one thing. And I, almost, I feel, I can intuitively feel what they need, not what I want to deliver, not what I think is great. Like I feel, I don't know how to explain it. I can intuitively feel what that audience needs. And I'll say, don't play any slides. I think we need to talk about this. And I'll get the only standing ovation out of 20 speakers or I'll be, and I believe that's all a gift that I have to blame my dad for because I had to read my dad to survive. But now that's a gift that's allowed me to start 13 companies, have more success than I could ever imagine possible. Like, like it's just a gift. And, and again, it's not about me right now. I'm just sharing this in your eyes. Right now, if you're listening, there is something or things that have happened in your past that suck and I'm sorry and they shouldn't have happened, but they did. And what if it was designed for you? What if there's gold un underneath this wrapping if you just look at it through a different lens? Mm. This is a, uh, a very mature, sensitive, and in tune and aware 12, 13-year-old person. I, I have to ask you this because you had to maybe in this moment grow up faster than a 12-year-old person should have to. So in that moment, uh, and we can look back on it now as adults in, in, in your 50s and say like, okay, I understand, I process, I can code this. But what happened to the child, the 12-year-old early teenager and how did you reconcile that inside your mind? Like, what were you feeling in the moment? If you can take us back there. Dude, I, 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 Chris, this is the first time we chatted. I love this interview, man. Cause you ask real heartfelt you. questions. You're not, you're not waiting to ask the next question. You're, you're listening and, and delivering value. And, and, um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Um, at 12, it was just, I have to be honest, it was scary. It, it was really scary. And yeah. I did, you hit the nail on the head. I, everybody used to say, wow, my God. Dean's so mature. I mean, I started my first business at 13. It's And listen, it's one of the reasons I was successful because I just thought if I had money, I could do two things. I could be in control of my own life and I could take care of my mom. Because when I left with my dad, my mom was scared and she worked a lot of jobs to make nothing. So I stepped up at 13. I already was working at 15. I started a cutting firewood business at, at 18. I started buying wrecked cars and fixing them up and, and selling them. I, 19, I bought my first rundown apartment house. Man, I was running. Uh, listen, and we all got to face it. If you're listening to this right now, you're, you're either running away from something that's uncomfortable or you don't like, or life's okay and you want to run towards something better and greater, right? We either move away or move towards. Um, right. At, at a young age, I was running away. In fact, yeah, I don't want to fast forward too much, but I ran away so hard 
that that's one of the reasons I obsessed on being an entrepreneur and wanting to be successful from my, through my whole twenties. Like I wasn't working on my personal growth. I wasn't trying to rekindle that little boy who was scared on the inside. I just tucked that crap down and said, man up that little boy. That was his choice. You know, that was his path in life. And I tucked it down. Um, and I'll tell you that little boy that I tucked down, he, he didn't come out for like 40 years until I went through a divorce and, and, I, I never faced that kid and that kid came out. And that's a whole nother story. But um, all of these circumstances made me the man I am today though. And I, and I like the human I am at this moment in my life. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things I want to pick up on, but there's one other thing because I wanted to connect this thread, this idea. Yeah, let's do it. Now you're, you're a parent. And so I was thinking about this because I, I, I grew up some under hard, some hardship myself and growing up poor as a first generation immigrant refugee from Vietnam. And I think about this a lot, that my experiences shaped who I am today, good and bad. They made mm -hmm. me who I am, and I like who I am today. And I'm very mindful of this, that my, my two boys now live in a whole different world and life and mm -hmm. creature comforts, and they're wondering when they're going to get their next iPhone or iPad. And it's like, you know, that wasn't a thing back when we were growing up. So I'm just curious now as a question from you, from being the child to the parent who's raising children. What are you doing and what's your philosophy and approach to raising your own children so that they can develop to be the person that they're supposed to be? Uh, another great question, something I, I obsess on. So you're hitting on things I love because, you know, it sounds like, um, you know, wealthy people problems like, oh, you got to try to figure out how to raise your kid now that you have money. But it's true. I, I'm I still am hungry on the inside like that broke kid. And, and Chris, maybe you feel that way, too, as being a first generation immigrant and not having money like mm -hmm. I wrote a book about being an underdog because like, I, I don't ever want to lose that edge. I never take for granted what I have. I still have this innate feeling for some reason that it's all going to go away, that, uh, you know, that I'm going to wake up and I messed up and it's gone. Um, right. but how do you, how do you instill that in a child that you're right? Like, you know, flies on private planes and lives in a beautiful place and never experienced that. And that's honestly something on my mind all the time. And I, I'll tell you what I do. I, I've, I really try to raise my children. I can't hide that we do okay and we do well and have yep. multiple businesses. That's an impossible thing. But I really work on, and I'm going to tell you this philosophy. How old are your kids, Chris? They are 16 and 14. 16 and 14. I've had this philosophy and I read about it a while ago about the baton. I talk about as mm. um, in America, what happened here is during... Um, industrial revolution. And when money started growing, it, we, we took the European thing of like in Europe, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to digress here for a second, but in Europe, there could be 15 generations of father to son, father to daughter, running a farm or running a family with no hiccups. Right. And then they compared that to America and they call it the G3 curse. And that's, you see a car dealership, it's Smith Chevrolet. Grandpa worked his tail off to create it. Son managed it. Grandson lost it. And it's this third right. generation curse. If the grandfather was an immigrant, by the time it got to the grandson, who was two generations in America, they would lose it. It was just study after study. And what I recognized is that what the old European model, European model was, it wasn't handing them money or handing them something. They handed them off opportunity. And what I've been trying to do is not only you know create um, create things in our lives the way they they get chore money and they, my kids aren't spoiled and they don't have a lot of, I mean, they're spoiled just being in this life, but they don't have a lot of things. And if they want it, they got to pay for it. They want a new bike. I split it with them Want an iPhone. I split it with them. 
But besides that, I've tried to instill this philosophy of the baton. I said, Europeans, the way they used to do it is your dad's worked really hard and you're watching me work. It's right in front of you. You see the hustle, you see the work. It doesn't come easy. I would love to feel comfortable someday handing this baton off to you. Not that you have to run my business, but you take what I learned. You take the education I have. You take the, 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 the momentum we have and you could take it to a whole nother level and you can pass that baton off to your kids. And I've just been saying this so long that I, I, I believe I'm very, I haven't very intrigued on knowing they have to work. It doesn't come easy. Yes, they're, they're blessed. Um, but they're going to have to work for it. And they also know that if I don't feel comfortable with the baton, there's going to be some really happy charities when I pass someday. Cause I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. ruin their life by taking away their drive to do things. And I also tell them I, I've never met, and this is not being, uh, Rude, Chris, but to this day, I've never met anybody with a trust fund who feels happy about their life. I met a lot that are struggling and they've gone through a hundred different things, sometimes rehab, sometimes the third divorce, and they're just trying to figure out because they don't have to fight for things. They've never felt like an underdog. They didn't have to fail. They didn't have to be in, and this is the other thing I always teach my kids is if the hell with resources, right? People hit lotto, they go broke. People are trust fund kids and they, they, they have troubles their whole life because they were, they had the resources, but they weren't resourceful. So I try to teach my kids resourcefulness and kind of that baton handoff. And then the rest, you know, as a parent, I just hope it sticks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's this fire that's inside of you that I hear from your recounting of starting and starting a business at 13 and then chopping firewood wood and buying used cars and flipping them and then getting into real estate. That's, as much as you can do, that's not going to be a fire that they have now, right? So we have to True. think about how to manage that so that w- w- the way I look at it is I don't want to steal them of that opportunity, that self-discovery, that drive and that purpose. And I'm just looking at you like, okay, you're a little ahead of me in the game, a little bit older, not that much. And I'm trying to just glean whatever kind of advice you have. And for the many parents and the, the working parents that are out there listening to this, how do we do this? This is a good problem to have, but it's yeah. a good problem. No, and I, and I think it's setting the standards and what I'm trying to do all the time is get them to innovate and get them to problem solve. Like in fact, you know, sports help me because I, mm-hmm. I teach them through sports that you don't win. I mean, you win games when no one's watching, right? So I feel fortunate both my kids, uh, it's a little weird now with quarantine, but both of them pitched, both of them did well, both of them were in the top 5% of their teams. And what I said to them, it's not that you're gifted is you win when no one's watching. When you come home and you go outside and you throw a hundred pitches when no one's there and it's 105 degrees in Arizona, you don't get any applause. But if you like walking off the field and knowing you helped your team, you brought the team together and you helped to win, that feels pretty damn good, but it's not going to be, the glory doesn't come without the work. So, you know, any place, believe me, Chris, I'm always looking for a place to, to insert a, a potential failure, insert that they, they have to struggle, they have to work for it. Because if, if I just left it to its own devices, that they could have the easiest life ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to go back to something here, yeah. and it's it's hard for somebody to to believe this as as well spoken as you are, as confident as you seem to be, that that it wasn't always the way. And if if I did my research right here, you, you grew up pretty poor. And there's trailer park stories. You didn't go to or you didn't finish college or something like that. And then here you are. It's like it's. Are these the same people? Can you take us a little bit about your arc and your journey and kind of moments that stick out for us or for you? 
Yeah. Um, no, I, I think about that. I feel like I've had a couple different lives. You know, in my whole 20s, mm -hmm. I was a blue collar guy. I, I fixed cars, renovated houses and had a tow truck company. You know, I could tow cars at night and work on apartments mm -hmm. and do plumbing and fix leaks and all those things in my 20s. Now, here's what I, I believe is, you know, the same, and this is a, you know, take what serves you from this interview and throw the rest away, but take some of it. Mm -hmm. If you feel it in your heart, write it down and just think through it is, you know, our best thinking got us here. That's not a phrase I came up with and it's not something I thought about in my 20s or 30s, but I think about it now. I think about what got me out of chopping firewood and going into cars was just a different set of thinking. And the thinking that got me to take the nerve, have the nerve to buy my first piece of real estate with no money down, it, it took different thinking. And then in my late 20s, when I decided, hey, I want to share what I learned and be in this information industry, right? Tony Robbins took my money off of an infomercial 25 years ago. And I was like, mm -hmm. I was just so intrigued, dude. I was like, this guy took my money. My father said I was crazy. My friends said I was an idiot. But this guy sold me information. Like he sold me words and it changed my life. Like, hell yes, I want to be in that industry, right? Um, right. That, that was a big fundamental shift. And here, again, I... If I go down a road that you want to reel me back in, man, please do. But I want to tell you, there's these moments in your life and there's lots of moments, right? There's the moments where you had the nerve to do it. There's the moment you failed and you kept going. There's the moment you failed and you stopped, right? There's all these moments, right. but a pinnacle point of going from, so now I'm 28 years old, 29 years old. I own 30 apartments. I'm building and flipping houses. I own a collision shop. I own an auto sales. I own a tow truck company. And my family thinks that I'm crazy. I'm a unicorn. Like how that, like I made more money than anybody ever. Um, right. I was doing really well for my little town in upstate New York of 5,000 people. Um, I had respect. I was probably making a quarter of a million dollars a year, which was a gazillion dollars. I built a beautiful house. And now all of a sudden I buy this thing from Tony Robbins and a year later I want to do an infomercial. And this is the, this is something maybe we can go down a road, but at that yes. moment, my family already thought, like I said, I was crazy, but that one right. pushed them over the edge, Chris. I was taking all the money I had. I even hit up credit card money. And now it's not like today. When you go into space today, you could start a podcast for free. You could do Facebook ads. You could do Instagram, YouTube. You spend 50 bucks to see if you got something. Back then, there was no internet. So the only way to get out to the world was an infomercial that could cost you 100 grand, cost you another 50 grand to test on media and all this. It's really expensive, right? Right. So I decide I'm going to do this and it pushes friends and family over the edge to literally my sister drove eight hours from, from Williamsburg, Virginia to New York to sit me down like an intervention as if I was a drug addict or a gamble, you know, gambling <laughs> and sat me down and said, enough, Dean, enough. We're all proud of you. No one can even believe you did this, but now you're going to lose it all. This is ridiculous. You never, I didn't even go to college for two seconds. She's like, you didn't go to college. You don't have the money mm -hmm. to back something like that. How do you know about TV? What do you know about selling an, a product on TV? This is going to be the end. You're going to start over. And I just can't, I can't watch it happen. And I got that same from friends and family. And then all of a sudden it was enough to create inner self-doubt. And I'm like, man, she's right. I'm not that smart. I still have dyslexia. I don't read books. Like, who am I to do this crap? And there's those moments of decision that I think we all feel, you know, today it's really popular to say I have imposter syndrome. It's like, I just, right. I didn't, I just felt like I didn't, wasn't good enough to do that. And it, and, and, and I've noticed these moments in my life when I wrote my first book, when I started my first big company. And when I, when I merged with another, all of them, that self doubt, that 
broke, insecure, not able to read too well kid wants to go, yeah, we can't do this. Let's retreat. And what I noticed at being 51, that this still happens is that voice and the people around me were always wrong, Chris. They were wrong mm. 100% of my time. I love my sister. She was there to protect me, but she was completely wrong. But I know that whatever gift I have to, to like stew on it and question it. And then finally one gay, gay day go, screw that. I'm doing it anyway. Whatever gift that was or whatever drove me or running away from the pain of my childhood or running towards a bigger future. I don't know what drove me in my twenties, but I look back mm -hmm. and I thank God. I thank, I thank my creator that, man, I just stepped up and went against all of them because they were wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. So many questions are springing up in my head, but, uh, I, I would like to share with you something I think, and then get your yeah, reflection I'd love to hear on that and how you feel. Okay. So a lot of people would say, okay, they're listening to this, right? Well, God, Dean is such a risk taker. He's got all this courage. And people would say that about me and the different things that I've done. But I would always tell him, I'd correct him. I'm like, it's not courageous to do something that you're not afraid of. And I, I, I've literally said this before. I've come from nothing. Like we're, we're broke. We're living on government assistance and getting secondhand clothes. And so to have what I have now and to lose it just means I'm just going to go back there. I've been there before. I have no problem going back to that life. Is, is how do you feel about that when you're risking everything and putting your money into something that you don't know enough about and everybody around you, everybody that cares and loves you is saying, this is so risky. What is going on in your mind? Yeah, really good question. Um, what's going on in my mind is, oh, I'm always scared to death to go backwards. I am. I'm scared. I oh, really? was always scared that I was okay. going to lose it all, but it wasn't okay. enough fear to stop me from going forward because the mm. fear of losing it did not outweigh the fear of not being the best version of myself. Like I just, and I believe all of us, you know, Dale Carnegie in, um, in a book he wrote, you know, so long ago, um, uh, how to win how friends to, and no, how to stop people. worrying and start living. Okay. He said, he feels like the biggest plight of the human condition is knowing you have more potential and not utilizing it. You know, he mm -hmm. said, I've met the happiest janitors in the world because they manage what they've done. They, they become, they, they, they do it with every bit of them and the happiest people in the world. And I've met millionaires who are frustrated because they know they could do more and they're stuck in something they don't like. And he said, I really believe the biggest plight of our time is knowing you have more potential. I, I think I fear, I feared, and I still do, not leaning into my full potential more than I'd fear losing it. And I think we do have mm -hmm. an unfair advantage because I know if I lost it all, I'm still going to survive, I'm still going to live, and I'm right. going to come back stronger. Maybe we, maybe we have that unfair advantage because we know what it's like to have nothing. We've been there. We've swam in those waters. And if we had to swim there again, we would. Right. Okay. So if you guys can't recognize or figure out who this voice is, there's a good chance you've seen Dean somewhere in your life before, as I have. I've seen you on TV. I probably have seen one of those infomercials. I definitely have seen you running ads in front of the YouTube videos. So Dean, for people who don't know who you are, and I should have done this earlier, can no you worries. introduce yourself? Yeah. What's up, everybody? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of my story, uh, you know, a lot of my story, I started uh, as I shared. Um, and, and I think before I, before I tell uh, kind of where I'm at now, mm -hmm. I, I want you to know if you're listening, no matter where you are in your life, I promise you I've been there. You know, I, I did live in a trailer park. I did live with my dad when it was just complete chaos and and went to school without lunch money and I wore hand-me-downs and some of the stuff you shared, Chris. Um, I've been there. I've also been where I wanted to start a business or scale a business, like I told you, and had my inner self-doubt say, you're 
pathetic it isn't going to work. I've had family tell me I'm nuts. So I know what it's like to question yourself, question your thoughts and, and, and dreams and question how people around you are judging. So I know that. I also know what it's like to start my business and get momentum and lose all of it and have to start over. But I also know what it's like to not listen to the critics and not listen to that voice inside and to just go with what your heart wants fail forward, take uncomfortable action, take imperfect action. And I know what that feels like to lead to my first, you know, $100,000 a year business and $100,000 a quarter, then hundred grand a month, then hundred grand a week, then hundred grand a day business. Um, been blessed to start over 13 companies and have more success than I ever imagined possible. I had dyslexia and didn't even read a book until I was about 28 years old. Um, but in my thirties, I wrote my first New York times bestseller and, and I've written six books since um, maybe you've seen some beer, uh, millionaire success habits, uh, hit about mm -hmm. a million copies. That book I released a few years ago. Um, I'm doing great things now. Tony Robbins changed my life 25 years ago. And now we're partners on two companies and have some great things going in the knowledge industry. Um, I own hundreds of houses around the world, real estate still uh, not around the world in the country. Uh, real estate is still one of my, uh, things that I invest in. I've been doing real estate since, you know, before 20 years old. And I'm in a place right now where I'm really obsessed with giving back because I, I love the fact that we have a voice, Chris. You know, when I was growing up, there was, like I said, there was no internet, no podcast, no YouTube, couldn't find videos. There was, there was Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Yes. And all it did was show it. It didn't tell you how to get there. <laughs> it just showed it to you and made you envious. So now that right. we have this mouthpiece and can be able to share, it's like we get, we have the ability to help people start off where we left off. So I'm really obsessed with impact at this stage of my life and I'm having fun. Um, I got mm -hmm. remarried again. I have a, I have a, a three month old baby boy. I have a 13, 11 and a three month old boy and my wife wants three more. So I better stay in good shape. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at. We'll be right back with more from Dean Graziosi. Getting a job in design is more competitive than ever, which is why you need to focus on skills that'll help you stand out. In a recent study by Design Week, 70% of respondents said their company is investing more in interactive prototyping, and Framer is here to help you level up. Getting started is easy. Import from your favorite design tool and start swapping static elements for interactive components. Set up transitions with just a few clicks and create impressive animations right on the canvas all 100% code free. The result is presentation dynamite. Prototypes that show clients, teammates, and even your boss that you're a cut above the rest. Sign up for free or get 20% off any paid plan by visiting framer.com slash the future. That's framer.com slash the future. Hello, future family. It's Greg again, and I'm here to take a quick second to tell you about Hover, one of our sponsors for this episode. Whether you're a fledgling agency or a solo freelance designer, you want clients to take you seriously. And having a custom email address with your own domain name is critical. Luckily, Hover makes it easy for you to do just that. Beyond hundreds of domain name extensions to choose from, Hover also offers private ad-free email so that you can communicate like a pro. And that's important. Imagine if you got an email from Pancake Dynamite Buttercup 
underscore 823 at AOL.com asking if you'd hire them for a job. That's a hard pass. Email like the pro that you are using Hover's powerful email client. Its built-in anti-spam will keep your inbox safe and you can make as many email addresses as you'd like. Just try to keep it professional. Set your online brand up for success by visiting hover.com slash the future for a 10% discount on all new purchases. That's hover.com slash the future and make a name for yourself with Hover. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to our conversation with Dean Graziosi. So here's the crazy part that people are going to have a hard time figuring this part out. So you're dyslexic and you said you didn't really read into into your 20s, I think. So how does a guy who doesn't read write a book? How does it even happen? Yeah. So that, you know, that's, that's those limiting beliefs. And uh, let me, everybody's heard the term limiting beliefs, but yeah. I, I, let me just tell you, I, can I, I'm going to share that story really quick. So mm-hmm. I'm already in the, in the business of sharing how to, you know, I'm teaching people how to invest in real estate. Like I did, I have an infomercial on TV and it always bugged me. I'm just going to tell a story real quick. It always bugged me that about 11% of the people who bought my course would refund it. And I just was always like, why would you buy it and refund? I think it's a great course. And I used to sit in customer service and I'd listen to calls and it was like, no one ever called and said, Hey, your teaching sucks. You're full of crap. It's not working. They'd always call and say, yeah, I want to try this. I don't have time. I want to try this, but my husband just doesn't believe this works where I live. I want to try this, but I don't have money. They just, they thought they needed more resources. And, and it was always all of these things. So I just said, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book and I'm not going to write it about real estate. My first book ever was called totally fulfilled. Now, I, listen, I, I look at it now, I can barely read it because, you know, we all grow. Hopefully, I, I hope right. I hope that someday at the end of our lives, Chris, people say, man, he, he, all he did is always grow, contribute more, grow more, stretch the mind, right? But right. I wrote the best book I could at that age on mm-hmm. how, how to be more fulfilled, how to overcome those obstacles, how to focus on solutions, how to be more creative, how to be more innovative, uh, be resourceful. And um, I have to tell you, so I, I, at that time, I'd probably read two books cover to cover in my whole life. That's a true story. Um, mm-hmm. It's before I realized there was audio books. Now I listen to an audio book a week. Um, but so I really write this book out of my heart of just like a conversation. So long story short, um, I have so many, lim- so many limiting beliefs telling me, who are you to think you're going to re- write a book? You don't know how, you know, you're not a writer. You didn't go to school. And at the time I had read a, a book, uh, Joel Osteen wrote, and I, I started reading, I was in page 20. I'm like, I'm done. This is so good. I can never write like this. I'm just going to do it my way. So I write this book, <laughs> Chris, and then I find a, I find a, an editor that everybody says is the best. She's edited two New York times bestselling books. And I lived, I'm living in Arizona at the time and, and she's in Virginia. I fly to Virginia and now talking to her, she's like, I am so excited to read your book, Dean. I'm so excited to help you because I know you know how to market. We will make this a masterpiece. So I go mm. back to my hotel and about four hours later, she calls me and she's like, Dean, um, 
I can't take you on. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, Dean, this isn't a book. It's a 250 page conversation. She's like, there's rules. I still remember this like it was yesterday. She goes, there's rules mm. when you write a book and you can break some of them. She goes, Dean, you broke all of them. You don't need an editor. You need a writer to rewrite this book. Man, I went home, dude, I don't know if you've ever felt this way in any areas of your life that you already felt insecure about. I remember thinking, who am I to, to write a book? You fool, you idiot. Like all those, like getting made fun of in seventh grade because I couldn't sound it out. And Mrs. Thompson used to say, you're stupid. Just sound it out. Can't you see those words? All of that came back to me. And, and I'm an adult and it came back to me. And, and this is not trying to be overly dramatic. I'm not trying to um, sensationalize this story, but I'm not kidding you. I was on my old IBM laptop and I remember having my finger saying, I'm just going to delete it. I'm just going to freaking delete it. Like it sticks in my head. I'm making this as I'm talking to you right now, my computer's in front of me. And I remember my finger over the delete button. And I was just going to scrap it. Like this is stupid. Why did I even try it? And I didn't. And I remember it took a couple of days. It took, you know, the, the inner battle of like, you can't do it. Yes, you can. You can't do it. Yes, you can. And I don't know if it was a week or a month later. I'm like, the hell with it. I think it's a good story. Maybe I broke all the rules, but I, I'm not trying to be an acclaimed writer. I want to be someone who impacts lives. So I obviously didn't work with her. I found a new um, editor and I said, listen, I know I broke all the rules. It's not probably what you're used to, but could you just clean it up and make it so I don't look really horrible? And uh, here's the crazy part. You know, I know nowadays people write a book and they do like a bestseller campaign to make it a bestseller, right? And there's nothing right. wrong with that. Um but I wrote that book. I got a publisher, sold my way into a, a book agent who sold his way to get it published. And the damn book hit the New York Times bestseller list week one. Wow. And it's still not an amazing, like it's a good book. It's nothing, honestly, my new book, Millionaire Success Habits is 20 times the book, uh, you know, over a decade later, but it still hit the list and people loved it. And, um, and you know, if I would have listened to that inner voice of saying you're an idiot and you're a fool for trying and hit delete, uh, maybe I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I wouldn't have six books and multiple New York Times bestselling titles and and all that cool stuff. What were your expectations of the book itself? I, I know we 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 all bring our own story, the narrative, what we tell ourselves, and then something happens, and I, I have to imagine that you're like, okay, I finished the book, but I'm not expecting it to be on the New York Times bestseller. And when it does, how does that impact you? Yeah. Um, or maybe you thought that, that that's what you're going to have. You know, I, I think I was trying to, I think I was hoping it would be a New York Times bestseller. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to lie and say no. And you know what? Oh, I like, love the honesty I, though. <laughs> I also probably wanted to like have my seventh grade teacher look at it and like, I, this sounded rude, like the subtle like middle finger to my seventh grade right. teacher, like, hey, this is the kid you made fun of all the time. I don't think you have one of these. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a little of that that lives in me. There's a, there was a little like, um, you know, it's the underdog. Yeah. The underdog feeling. And simultaneously, I wanted people to have that stuff in their hands, but I have to tell you when it hit, I was like, can't be possible. Right. Somebody sent me right. a clip. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, pretty cool. That's fantastic. And what was your motivation to write that book? Now I heard that on your conversation with Evan that you, you read a lot of the comments. And that's where you get your ideas from. You you start to feel what the audience is feeling or your followers, and that informs the conversation. That's easy to do today. There are a lot of differences between yeah. today and when you when you did this. So, how how were you feeling that back then? And what what prompted you to have this crazy idea? I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, um, 
you know, sometimes being naive, you know, I, I listen to a lot of personal development stuff, but mostly it was Tony Robbins and some of the people he introduced me to. I got into Wayne Dyer and mm-hmm. evolved into a little Eckhart Tolle and, and uh, then I went backwards to Napoleon Hill and Earl Nightingale and Dale Carnegie and Jim Rohn. Um, I think I was a little naive because I wrote that book. Um, I wrote that book as if, because personal development wasn't in my life so much. It was just new to me. And it's like, you know, you discover something new and you think you're the only one that found it. You know, like, right. oh my God, do you know that we have limiting <laughs> beliefs that live inside of us and we can change those beliefs and we can be empowered. And do you know, if we train our brain to focus on solutions and we be the manager of our thoughts, oh my God. No. And I wrote that book thinking like no one ever heard this stuff before, right? right. It was so right. new and so fresh and so exciting that um, I think that's I think that's where it came from. It came from like a youthful enthusiasm of like, I found the fountain of youth you know, and the older I get now, I look back at them like, God, it was so naive. You know, there's no original thought, but I think what it is, is it's the voice it comes from Chris, right? There's a lot of people who do podcasts and do interviews. Why are you so successful? And people like hearing you because you take what other people do and you do it in your way. And it's a mm-hmm. voice that we people want to hear. And, and I think that's where we find our own niche. You know, the things I still share to this day, I think there's other people who have written about it, talked about it, shared about it, but maybe I'm a voice where you go, wow, the way Dean delivers it, I could see myself doing it. And if that matches, yes. that's why we build a, a relationship. 100%. I'm a big believer that there aren't a whole lot of new ideas out there. And so why is there room for people like you and others to talk about similar things? Is because we relate to you, your style, your story, the way you deliver it, how you come across. And we decide to choose you to be the person that we trust to receive this information. I'm also a big believer that all, all the tools that are going to change your life are already out there. They're free mostly and they're they're easy to get. But what we need to do is to convince ourselves to go ahead and take that step. And so there, that's when we need a guide like you or Tony or somebody else to say, look, I'm going to help you get there. Yeah. Because it's not about the tools because the tools are there. Yeah, the tools right? are there. Exactly. It's yeah. the person that makes you feel inspired to take action, right? Take mm-hmm. uncomfortable action. I know I used that word before. Or take imperfect action or you know, gain next level or just another level of thinking or different types of thinking and then take that action. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I'm going to switch gears for a little bit. And there's a bunch of things I want to follow up on, but I want to switch gears a little bit, which is this, is that this is a day and age now where I think there are the pioneers uh, like yourself and Tony and, and, and a few others who are helping people with mindset work and, and helping people to get over their limiting beliefs. But today it seems like there's these, a lot of young kids uh, there's a term that uh, you may be aware of called fake guru or entrepreneur uh, teaching other people how to do something that they have not yet done themselves. And it's starting to get blurry. Like who are the good ones? Who, yeah. Who's authentic and which ones are just in it to make a quick buck and making really bold, false claims. And, and to the naive and uninitiated, it all looks the same. How do you separate yourself and how do you respond to something like that? So it's so funny, you know, uh, I'm really enjoying this, Chris, by the way, really deeply enjoying this conversation. Um, it has, I see it happening and I, and I see it happen with, um, even my kids, right? My, my son's only 11. He gets an hour of, uh, of, uh, electronics a day. That's a, that's a hard mm-hmm. juggle, right? In today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'll be on YouTube and a commercial will come up and he'll go, dad, look at this guy. So rich. Right. And it'll be someone standing in front of a Lambo with a fancy watcher holding cash in their hand and saying, I did this, 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 and this. And my dad, my son will say, is this this guy rich, dad? 
or he'll ask, is this guy rich? And what does he do? And it's like, wow, that there's a whole new generation being influenced by flash. Right. And I don't yeah. know, Chris, you know, um, you know, it's been a lot, I've been on social media kind of heavy for the last three years only, you know, I, right. I did infomercials and direct mail and live events. And I really came to the social media world later. And even in the last two years, not that you've watched me for two years, but I stopped showing anything I do. I wear a gray t-shirt pretty much every day of my life. I have, I, 20, see that. I have 20 dark gray t-shirts and 20 light gray t-shirts. Um, <laughs> and that's all I wear every day. I stopped wearing mm -hmm. watches. I don't share if I happen to fly private or I share my house. I feel blessed. I love the house. It's my dream house that I live in. And I made a conscious decision about a year ago. If you look at my Instagram account, um, you don't see my house. You don't see me when I fly in a private jet. I don't show a watch. I don't show when my wife and I are driving in our cars. I just made a conscious decision because of exactly what you're saying. I want people to appreciate me by my words of wisdom on how they've, they come from a depth of knowledge of 13 different companies and failing miserably. And if people don't see that, then I don't need to show that anymore because the whole world can you know, rent a jet on a weekend or, or go to a dealership. I mean, two weeks ago, this is no joke. Two weeks ago, I came to my house and there was people outside taking pictures in my road, just in, on their car, taking pictures. And then about a week ago, my wife's sister said, you won't believe this. There's somebody posting on their page is like home sweet home, right? And they just happened oh to my find God. it. And that, it was, what's happening? It was my house, right? And right. I text the guy and I literally, my wife, I, on her phone, I said, nice house. I DM'd him and the poor guy like probably shit himself. Um, but I, I just think a couple of things. Is in this a fake, did you call him a fakepreneur or, or fake, fake influencer? Fake guru or contrapreneur. Contrapreneur. I think what we have to do is we really have to recognize the word. Listen, there's only enough time in a day. We only have a certain amount of time. And the most costly advice in the world, and I, I want you to remember this. Remember nothing else there. Remember this. The most costly advice in the world is bad advice. It's your broke friend telling you how to get wealthy or your single friend telling you to break up with your fiance, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, because they don't, they don't want to be alone when they go out on the weekends. Like bad advice is so costly because it, it puts us down the wrong path. So if you're going to listen to someone, you're going to listen to an influencer, do a little research. If they're fun to listen to, there's a difference between fun or actually being influenced. So if they like to watch them for fun, that's great. That's like watching the Kardashians or I don't know. Right. I don't watch that, but it could be if it's fun. But dis distinguish or, or differentiate the two of one that I'm going to take information from somebody who's been there. They started multiple companies. They've been down this road. Listen, I never gave advice on relationships, Chris. I didn't. And I, I confessed that to, to Evan when he interviewed me. Mm -hmm. I was I in a marriage that, that was kind of loveless. We were dear friends. We co-parented well, but we didn't have a real relationship. I lived in a spare bedroom for two years. We didn't hold hands. Mm -hmm. we, we found a way to be friends. I never talked about relationships because who the hell was I to give advice when I was trying to figure it out in my 40s, right? So- we went right. through a divorce and it was really painful. I worried about my kids, but we divorced. I'm not saying divorce is great, but we divorced well. We're still great friends. We co-parent incredibly. But now over three years, I'm in the best relationship of my life. I became a better man after divorce. I looked inside and said, how do I become a better human to attract a real soulmate? 
And I, I worked on me and I attracted an amazing woman and we fall more in love every day. People say, oh, it's six months at last, a year at last, two years. We're heading towards four years. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life every day. I'll talk about a relationship now because I walk the walk and talk the talk because I failed miserably. And then I found a way to fix that, right? So find someone who's been through mm -hmm. the experience. If they're talking about business, are they making money by just being an influencer or do they, they have depth and breadth, as, as my buddy Tony would say, and they have the experience, then listen to that person, right? And, and I believe that, it, you know, wealth is way more, and we know this, than the, the Lambo and the money, right? Are they living a wealthy life with their family, with their relationships, with their friends, with their coworkers? I don't know. Maybe that sounds like a 51-year-old guy given too deep information, but I just know how powerful advice is. And wrong advice could waste months, years decades of your life. And I just believe if you're going to take it in, do a little research, it's worth it. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious then, because uh, in that, uh, in that interview, you talked about people wanting to see a little bit more of your life and you, and you had said, I always see myself as a teacher and I want to help people and I'm going to give value. So the way that you coded that, I think I was reading between the lines is sharing the personal stuff that happens behind the scenes. Isn't really teaching. It's kind of voyeuristic. But there's this there's this big movement, I guess, that personal brands are very powerful. And I, I did scan through a bunch of your photos in Instagram. It's mostly advice, like big ideas, or it's you and your your three month old with your wife. But the like you're right and you're you're true to your word. The shot is so tightly cropped that there's not a lot of context. Like we don't see the house, the car, or the jet. So how do you bring people into this world, or do you even care? in terms of your personal life while managing that, like, I don't want to seem like those charlatans over there. Yeah. You know, I, it's so funny. I've never had this conversation, but I, I, I probably overthink it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I try to find a balance. You know, I, I go, I do a face or an Instagram story every day and I try to deliver value. And I think, you know, I feel fortunate. I have over a million followers. I think if I showed the jet and the house and the car, I, I bought my house. I, like I said, I love my house. It's a dream mm -hmm. house. Um, I think I could have more followers, but would they be the right kind of followers for me? And I think I've made that decision because I think I have such a loyal base. And, you know, when Tony Robbins and I launched a, a product called KBB, like it was, it turned out to be the biggest launch in history. Um, and I think because people were following me for the right reason, they didn't follow me for the Lambo or follow me because of the jet or follow Tony because of that. And Tony does pretty much the same thing. I mean, Tony's got way more time and depth and breadth. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's built, um, you know, credibility for 40 plus years helping people. But, but I think, we make an impact because of the people that follow us. And, and if someone doesn't follow me because they think, uh, who's this guy? He probably is not rich. I don't see a Rolex on his wrist. I haven't seen his fancy car. Then maybe that's the guy that needs to go spend time following the Lambo guy. And when it doesn't work, he's going to come back and follow, um, a deeper set of wisdom. And maybe that's, maybe it's mm -hmm. a flawed thinking, but that's just the place I'm at right now. Right. I, I just think, um, and maybe I'm giving voice to a small group of people. It's just, let's just say they love you, they respect you, they know you're the real deal. They just want to know a little bit more about you to let you, to let them into your home, so to speak, literally and figure Yeah. And you know what? You That's know? something I'm working on is how do I let someone into my home and my life without kind of showing them? It's, it's a balance and you're hundred percent right. And yeah. just so you know, Evan Carmichael and a bunch of other people have given me that advice. It's like, brother, I want to see more. I need to see more. Like, and, and that's, 
that's something we're working on. I, I hired someone to do more of like uh, vlogs on, on advice from some dear friends who who do it really well, and it, it felt too uh, intrusive. And I was like, no, nah, that's too personal. So I'm I'm trying to find that balance, Chris. <laughs> right, and I, I ask mostly because I share the same feeling. I, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for over 15 years, and now I make content. But I always felt like. I'm a private person. There should be some separation here. It's like here, I give you all of me, but here I just need to save something for myself. But every time I show a little sliver, a little slice of it, and it's not even uh, shots where you flex at all. It's just like, here's what, here's what my messy desk looks like today. Here's 14 pages of notes that didn't go anywhere for a talk I was writing. And they're like, wow, okay, he's human. Yep. I, I see another yeah. dimension. And before he was mostly this dimension and now he's adding something to that. You're you're a hundred percent right because when I do that, it's usually my videos that go viral or a post that gets ten times the likes. So you're right on point there. Mm -hmm. Okay, you mentioned Tony's name several times. My my impression of Tony, uh, Tony Robbins, has changed over the years because I saw him for a very long time as the guy who was doing the infomercials, and even then I was like, this is too cheesy. This is not real. Yeah. And I think it was in I'm not your guru. And he talked about like, okay, he had some regrets about how he marketed himself and he's not that guy. And he, he won me over and I, I started to dig into more of his content material and it's, it's life-changing. But I wanted to talk to you about that because your relationship with Tony has evolved. And I'm going to make some assumptions here. But first, he was your mentor and then a friend perhaps and then now a partner. That's a wild arc yeah. and it's amazing. So the question I wanted to ask you if I got that right was, what did Tony share with you? Just maybe three things when you went and took his course that changed your life. Can you help us understand that? I can. And you know what's so funny? You just said something that I think it's the same experience with me. I started with infomercials. I look at my first infomercial, mm -hmm. dude. It was so cheesy. It was so <laughs> hypey. It was ridiculous. Like That was I, the formula back then. I can't even look at it. Like I, I literally yeah. played it yesterday. We have a, a group I do a training for once a month and I played it for them to embarrass myself. <laughs> and it was so bad, dude. If I saw that guy, I'd be like, that guy's a charlatan, rip-off con <laughs> artist. Like, who would buy crap from that guy? Like, that's how right. I feel looking at it. So I understand that evolution. I know, understand. But that's what it was like in the 80s and 90s, yeah. right? They were just, that's yeah. the way it looked. And here's the funny part is when I first met Tony, a friend introduced this and he said, ah, yeah, I'll meet that guy, Dean. But he seems like a cheesy infomercial guy. And we laugh about it so much. I'm like, you prick. Like, you had the nerve to say that about me. I was only 10 years behind you or right. eight years behind you. So we laugh about it all the time. He's like, how was, yeah. who am I to judge you? He's like, I got so far away from it. I forgot that's where I started. Right. So right. Um, that I, I can appreciate what you just said. Um, so a couple of the original things I learned, I'm going to tell you a couple mm -hmm. of original things. I'm going to tell you something that changed my life. Even, even just, you know, uh, I don't know, five years ago. Okay. But originally, um, one was that where you come, I know this is, this is simple stuff, but I didn't realize that I had gained beliefs from my family. My mother right. is an amazing person, but my mom was like, only rich people get rich, Dean. They, they have a hand up. That's not who we are, honey. That's that you just weren't born with that. Um, my dad, um, had a belief that just hard work, like other people got lucky, but really people just, if you work hard, you can make it. And both of them were a lie. My dad's worked hard his whole <laughs> life. I re I retired my dad when I was 30 years old. He worked his ass off. He never made more than 30 grand a year, but he said it with such conviction, Chris. I thought it was true. 
right? And my mom right. would say it with such conviction. She'd see a woman in a Mercedes and I remember my mom be like, must be nice, right? It's like, <laughs> no, that's not true. Like it was, but some of those beliefs I'm only giving you two. Um, but when Tony shared that we have beliefs that aren't ours, I was like, what the hell does that mean? They're mine. If I believe them, they're true. It's like, no, right. they were instilled in me. I had a belief that I was dumb from Mrs. Thompson in seventh grade. And I started looking at all these things. I'm like, holy crap. You I mean, I could throw those away. Uh, you know, with dyslexia didn't go to school. I can believe I can still be successful. Like though, I know that was the biggest thing, uh, uh, changing my beliefs, identifying them firstly, and then changing them game changer for me. Absolute game changer. And then I'll say one, tell you one of the biggest, at 47, I was going through a divorce and I was scared to death. All those beliefs I had about my childhood, I thought were going to be my kids. Um, I was going to burden my kids with the same thing I went through. And it was horrifying. I mean, I, I went through anxiety. I was, I was popping a Xanax twice a week. I don't take an aspirin, Chris. I don't, I don't get sick. I don't take meds. I don't take drugs. I don't drink. I mean, I'll have a glass of wine and stuff. I'm not a you know, I'm not anti-drinking. I just, but now I'm going through this divorce and this seven-year-old kid is popping up in my life and, and my seven-year-old version that I just tucked down and it's causing chaos in my life. Um, uh, and I literally, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to manage that. And my ex and I, we already knew that was over, but I'm trying to manage how the kids are going to be okay. And, and, you know, I, I, I was one of those dads who cooked breakfast and met with them every day and picked them up from school and did everything I can coach little league, coach softball, Sunday meetings, all this stuff. And now I'm thinking, oh, that's ruined. They're going to go to, my kids are going to be on drugs and losers because I'm a jerk and messed it up. Like all this crazy stuff. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, I fly down to see Tony and, uh, and I feel blessed that, you know, that going from buying his course to meeting him to now we're dear friends and we're evolving our, our business relationship too. And I go see him and he looks at me and he said, brother, um, I know you're going to accomplish lots of great things and you're going to do business and you'll get through this, but I got to ask you, and I was probably 47, it's a weird question. He goes, who do you want to become in your fifties? Like, what the hell does that have to do? Dude, I'm going through this stressful moment. How do I handle this divorce? Give me something right now. You know, and I'm thinking, he's like, I know it sounds crazy, but look at me. And he got in my face. He says, who do you want to become? Who is the man, Dean Graziosi, in his 50s? Man, I don't know if it hit me in that moment, but I went back to my hotel after that night. And I'm like, holy shit. He didn't ask me how I was going to fix the relationship, how I was going to be to my kids, how much money or divorce. Like, he asked me who I was going to become. And man, that hit me so hard. And I started thinking about, I want to be a man who sets a better example. And I started writing down all this stuff, Chris, no, no kidding. Like it was like, it was 20 years prior when I got his course. And like, I was this naive little kid is what I felt like. And I'm writing down of the man I want to be, the woman I want to attract in my life, the father, the ex-husband I want to be, the friendship I want to create with my ex. And I decided at that weekend that I was going to do whatever it took to be her real friend. To, to make my kids have a child-centered divorce so they could go back and forth. And I, I decided all these things of who I wanted to be. And it really, it hit me again. I'm like the, the guy got me again. <laughs> and like he, he delivered to me in a huge way. I have a debt of gratitude. Our friendship's deep, and, and, but I, I have a debt of gratitude to that guy from some of the simple things uh, that he shared with me. Wow, that was powerful stuff. You just affirmed something that we had just touched upon earlier, which is, once you started to recognize the beliefs that you had and you worked towards them in terms of saying, I like these, I'm going to get rid of these, and then I'm going to fashion myself after the person I want to become 
early in your life and then even five years ago saying to yourself, who do I want to become? And I, I think that's, I, I guess I should have asked you this at the beginning, but how do you describe to people what you do today? Because I know you've, you, you have a rich and long history and career here, but how do you describe yourself to people today? What do you do? You know, I, I, I'm in the, you know, I guess you're right. It's changed over the years. I, I, if there was points, I'd say I'm an entrepreneur. There's other points I'd said I was an investor. There's other points where mm -hmm. I said I'm in the self-education industry and, you know, having multiple New York Times bestselling books. I've said I'm an author. Um, I don't know if I'm any of those. I, I think I'm all of those, but I, I really, uh, I, you know, it's great because it's probably changing right in this moment, but I, I would say I'm in the, I'm in the business of, of empowering people with things that I've learned, you know, self-education is what I'm in, right? Self-education just means I deliver things uh, to, that people want to self-educate, but I, I'm in the business of empowering people. And it's not like I'm, I'm this God, or I don't like, I know Tony's God, I'm not your guru. I don't feel that. I just feel like whatever I learn and I feel like I'm exponentially learning in my fifties. It's like, it feels like it's coming to me. Like knowledge is turning into this depth of wisdom and I, I just, I'm dying to share it. So I think I'm a mouthpiece of, of um, a megaphone, uh, the deliverer of, of things that I've learned through the years. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to articulate that better now that you asked me. So the next time someone <laughs> asks me, I just got something to say. It's it's a good problem to have. You have a rich resume, so it's it's wonderful. I'm I, I've got six pages of notes and, and questions that I can ask you, but I realize well, we're coming coming up on time here. So I just first wanted to thank you for sharing this, and uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. I asked the entire family, please be quiet. I'm talking to somebody super important today, so that we can get this recording done. And I do appreciate it. I know that you and I have tried to connect a couple of times, and I'm glad that we did this because it was a it was real fascinating to hear you tell your story and, and to share some of the wisdom. For people who are interested in finding out more about you or some of your programs, where should they go? Yeah. First off, before I, before I share, I want to say thank you for the, 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 the questions you asked today. I could tell they came from a really, you know, um, a really uh, caring or heart-centered place. Like, I don't even know if that's the right word. Or sincere. I should say real sincere questions to get sincere value to the people. Listen, I, I see why you do so well. I see why people follow you and I, and I think they should continue. Tell your friends about Chris and, and get more people. And <laughs> this is how we help change the world. Our little pieces here is delivering information. Again, if, if only one piece of what we shared today fit your soul, throw the rest away and take it and go do something with that. Don't just be a passive listener. Um, you know, nothing changes without action. So take some action today. Decide on one thing you're going to do. Um, I, I'd say um, uh, my podcast is doing really well right now. We didn't put a lot of uh, effort into it in the past and we are now. And we just, I think we're in the top hundred pretty con consistently. So I'm pretty excited. It's the Dean Graziosi show. Um, my uh, newest book, The Underdog Advantage. Uh, people are loving that book. You can grab it on Amazon or you can grab it at deansbook.com. And, um, and if you want to watch a training with Tony Robbins and I, um, uh, you hear my baby in the background. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear him. He's, he's having oh, a- Oh, I hear him now. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to uh, watch a training with Tony Robbins and I, you can go to deanstraining.com. It's a two-hour training to show you about the information industry, the knowledge industry. It's pretty amazing. People are loving that. And yeah, I'm on Instagram as well, not to give so many pieces, but we all have different ways that we like to watch. So podcast or education or book, but it's a pleasure to be here with you, Chris. And I meant everything I said, so keep up the good work. I'm Dean Graziosi, and you are listening to the future.
Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to the future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and products covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Barrow with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's a tremendous help in getting our message out there. And, you know, let's us know what you like. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.